Hello everyone and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reese, and y'all know how we do it. I am going to read a poem from my book of poetry entitled, A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. And the name of my poem is called, Confide in You. If you are interested in learning more about my poetry book or my novel, you are more than welcome to go to my website at IamTeresaReese.com. So let's get started, shall we? Oh, wait, there is a PSA announcement. I'm going to take my time today. Y'all know I talk fast, but today I'm going to speak from my heart and I'm going to take my time, if that's okay. Here we go. I confide in you because I believe that you can handle my truth, even if it is but for a moment. And subject to change with my emotions. Today I may be in love and in dislike tomorrow, but whatever I feel at that moment, I choose to share it with you. As I confide in you, please don't take what I say so personally, because what's meant to be will always be. I may make the wrong choice. But let me use my own voice to express what it is I'm going through. I need that from you. Yes, you may disagree and not like my suffering, but please lend me an ear or two as I choose to confide in you. And so for those of you, if you've never joined any of my podcasts, if you've never listened to any of my episodes, I am on a journey. I am trying to remain real and wise, which is literally, it's an acronym. Well, raw is an acronym for real and wise. So I'm trying to remain raw. However, in the course of this journey, you know how you can start something and you have one expectation and then you look up and way more than you expected starts to take place and you're like, hold up, wait a minute. So let me give you an example. When the intent of my writing my poetry book was literally because when you're told that you have a tumor in your brain, you do start to imagine what life would be like upon your demise. And because I knew that I had made a lot of mistakes when it came to how I raised my older children, um, how I lost custody of them after like afterwards, um, and then my younger three children, although I did a better job, according to many people, the second go round, um, I wanted to prepare them because I know that life is not always easy. And because a lot of us tend to watch television, we can get this false perception of what life is truly like. And it's really nothing like that. And so I wanted them to have a blueprint. I wanted my children to be able to, whenever the going got rough, for them to be able to refer to my book 
and for them to be able to go to a certain point and hopefully it resonate with them and minister to them in my absence. And that was the intention of my writing this book. I wanted to make sure that I left a legacy for my children in the form of writing and to just allow them to see the things that I was never able to articulate, that they only saw the action behind the hurt, but they never truly, because they were so young when I lost custody of them. My oldest was eight years old. My other child was four and then the youngest was two. And so I wanted them to be able to reflect. And even though there's no names in this, I believe that there is nothing new under the sun. And so a lot of times we don't talk about what we go through. We literally just grin and bear it. And that is something that I did not want to do. Like I wanted to be as transparent as I knew how. So in the course of my writing the book, I cried a lot. I mourned a lot because I, I was able to see in writing some of the choices that I made. And I was like, girl, you've been through hell. But a part of me knew that it wasn't just the blueprint for my children. Like, you know, of course I'm going to sell the book. So I knew other people would have access to the book. And I didn't still didn't understand the magnitude of what God was doing. But I knew that it was necessary for me to get a part of my story out. Mind you, the book was printed in 2014. So there have been literally seven years past the book being printed that I've also lived by the grace of God. And so I am glad that I wrote the book. But what I'm also starting to realize is that what my intentions were. God had a totally different plan. And so I thought what I was doing, because I remember him using me to prophesy, but this is before I even truly really had a book in my mind. Like I didn't even really have a book in my mind. I, I was just going to be obedient um, because a pastor asked me to testify about surviving the two brain surgeries to his congregation, to his church. I didn't have a book in mind when I was talking to them. But it's like the Holy Spirit just took over. And when the Holy Spirit took over, I said it with such, like, like I just knew. Such conviction, such assurance. I just knew. And so I literally said in front of everyone, there is going to be a book birth out of this birth out of this experience. And I didn't even truly understand what that meant when the words were coming out of my own mouth. I didn't know what that meant. But I said it in obedience. It took three years after that for me to see it actually manifest. And what I thought was going to happen, I was under the impression, this is me leaning on my own understanding of what I thought God was doing in my life. What I thought was going to happen was that I was going to have to sit down and write an actual biography from beginning to end of what I'd gone through. And I was like, Lord, that's a whole lot of writing. But because he knew where I was in that season of my life, and because I've written since I was a very young child, that writing poetry came naturally for me. And so 
what I've heard is that the attention span of people is very short. And so to be able to write the book of poetry, they could turn a couple of pages and put it down. They could go back because the way that I designed it, you could pretty, there's a table of contents. So you could be like, oh, okay. So I was on page 80 yesterday. I'm gonna check out page 81 to 85 tomorrow. I mean, you know, tomorrow. And so um, that's kind of how I did it. I allowed the Holy Spirit to guide me. It was printed, it was done. But what I didn't know that God was going to do, I didn't know that he was going to allow me to write an autobiography in poetry form. And so when I am sharing these words with you, I know I haven't met any of you, like maybe 1% of the people that are listening to this that, I've, that I actually know. The other people, I've never met you most likely personally. However, Whenever I am doing this podcast, it's because I have a heart for the underdog. I have a heart for the people. I wish that we didn't go through all that we went through when it comes to pain and sorrow and mourning and grief and just all of that. I wish we didn't have to go through learning lessons that way. So now I'm starting to realize that this was not written just for my biological children. It was written for God's children. It was written for the people that may feel like they're alone sometimes and they have no one to talk to. They have no one to confide in or at least they feel like that. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when you cannot articulate or don't. You don't know how to formulate what you're truly feeling. You just know your heart is broken and you don't know how in the world you're going to make it from one minute to the next. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be rejected. I know what it feels like for you to put your heart and your soul into a relationship, hoping and praying that this is going to be the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, only to find out that those feelings were never reciprocated. That the intent that you had was not identical to the person that you were dating. I know what it feels like to give my body to someone who is not equally yoked with me. I know what it feels like to marry the wrong person. I know what it feels like to have a miscarriage. I know what it feels like to get a divorce. I know what it feels like to go through brain surgery and survive it by the grace of God. I know what it's like to be told that the tumor has grown back in your brain again and there is nothing that can be done about it i know what it feels like to feel abandoned rejected hurt i know what it feels like to literally want to give up but something within you keeps pushing you to proceed and you're just like oh my god for what what am i proceeding for I know what all of that feels like. And maybe that's the reason why God did not want me to stop at just writing the book. Maybe this is the reason why he wanted me to 
tell you my story, not just write about it, but to tell you what I've been through. So hopefully you or someone you know doesn't have to go through it. Or if you have gone through it, you now have someone If you feel like you don't have anyone to tell, don't want to tell them because they may be embarrassed. You may be embarrassed. You don't want to, you know, you don't want that judgment. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be ostracized by the church. I get it all. But I know that I did not go through that for me. It has nothing to do with me. I am a mere vessel, just a vessel. None of this. Has I feel it. I feel all of it. I feel it. Oh, do I feel it. I know what it's like to be domestically abused. I know what it's like to abuse someone domestically. I've been, I know what it's like to go to jail. I've been there in more ways than one. I know what it's like to lose your children. To lose custody of your children and try to figure out how to function after that has happened because you never ever prepared for that. And now in 2021, I know what it's like to go through a pandemic. I know what it's like to lose a job. I haven't lost my primary job by the grace of God, but I have been there before. I know what it's like to be homeless But I also know what it's like to overcome. And so I wanted to take a moment. I didn't want to rush this episode. Because I feel like there are a lot of hurting people right now. That they don't know how to deal with all that is happening. With the pandemic. We, I'm in Texas. So we just experienced a snowstorm that I was like, Lord Jesus... I wasn't ready. It doesn't matter sometimes because it, it's a it's so easy to get caught up in being judgmental. Some people can be so self-righteous that they miss the mark and don't even know it. Some people can be so caught up in well, I got it right. I could check all the boxes. I well, great for you. But what about the people that miss the mark? We don't talk about that because everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be a part of the winning circle. No one knows, not a lot of people anyway, because we've been so programmed to be like, oh, you got to win, you got to win. But sometimes just waking up, getting out of bed, that is a win. Sometimes just getting up to change your clothes, make sure you're fresh, all of that, that is a win. And I literally don't want the ones that, and and I think that's why I, I care for the elderly the way that I do. Like my heart goes out for the elderly. Because can you imagine, can you imagine giving your all to the people that you love and then aging alone? Making all the sacrifices throughout your whole life. Doing everything that you possibly can. And then... When you get to the point that you can no longer be as mobile as you once were, nobody's around, nobody's calling you, nobody's checking to see that you're okay. That has to be a 
terrible feeling. It has to make you, like anyone going through that, feel like, what about me? And so I know that I'm only one person. But God knows that I have a heart for many people. And yes, there have been people that have crossed my path that have taken my kindness as a weakness. Shame on them. But I know that I was called for a purpose greater than just being here. Like, oh, you're existing. You're good. No. It's I'm intended. God intended for me to share my life. I get it now. I didn't get it back then. When I was going through losing custody of my children, it almost killed me. Literally. It's nothing like wrapping your world around your children. It's nothing like everything you do being about your children, all the sacrifices that you're making are for your children. And then because someone has not forgiven you for you to look up and be in court and blindsided to the fact that what, huh? You, what? He's taking them with them. I can't see them. That is the most devastating feeling ever. And for the longest time, I didn't even want to talk about that because I know that people are so judgmental. You must be a terrible mother. Just all the stuff that comes with that. And I'm like, why do some people get joy in making other people feel so small? Why would that make you joy? That means that you're a very miserable person. And yes, misery does love company, but I'm not co-signing for being in company of misery. I want to be in company with wisdom and edification and forgiveness and love. That's the company that I want to keep. And joy and peace, the type of peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't want to have my mouth front. Like I remember... <laughs> One, someone I used to date, he would be like, Teresa, quiet your face. And he would take his fingers and he would fix my face because I would get so upset sometimes that, you know, the wrinkles and all that. And he'd be like, quiet your face. And at the time, I didn't understand it. But now as I'm older, I'm like, I get it. Because my face would show everything. Everything, everything. And so it allowed me to kind of look at it from his perspective, really. Like, I know you're upset, but calm down. Like, it doesn't have to show all on your face. Every, people seeing, you know, maybe it was embarrassing to him. I don't know. But I that whole quiet your face, I loved it. I loved it. And so I just wanted, for those of you that don't know, if you're wondering like, why in the world is she doing this? I'm doing this for you. And if you can't relate, please share it with someone who can. If you don't understand the things that I'm talking about, please share it with someone who will. If you're not the person that this is meant for to listen to, please share it with someone that you know that could relate. Because I want to be a blessing to the broken. 
And there's a way to do it decent and in order. And this is the way that God gave me to do it. Not only that, it's something about, you know, I'm learning that I don't mind keeping a secret, but I'm not a secret person. So there's certain people that they're like, girl, I live a private life. I wouldn't dare. That's not my testimony. That's not my life. Because I know I didn't go through this for me. There's somebody out there, whether it's a boy, girl, whatever. There's someone out there that's just, they're like, I just want someone to understand. I remember when I lost custody of my children. Again, that was one of the most devastating things that has ever happened to me. Neck and neck, side by side, my daughter being raped and me losing custody of my children. Both of those things almost took my life. Finding out about a brain tumor in my brain and the possibility that I could drop dead tomorrow or today or in the next five seconds has nothing in comparison, does nothing in comparison when you lose the people that you love and when you cannot defend the people that you love and protect. For me, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, those two things almost cost me my life because I love my children. I absolutely love my children. And so to even be in a position where I'm thinking we are going through a patch. Maybe, you know, I had postpartum and didn't know it, whatever the case may be. But that's another thing. Be careful of who you surround yourself with. Because there are some people that may know that you don't have wisdom in an area. And they will P-R-E-Y on that situation because they know that you are clueless concerning the process. I went to paralegal studies um, school, like to college. I went to college to get my paralegal studies degree after I went through what I went through because I did not want to be blindsided ever again. Because I felt like I was, I felt like I was murdered. I remember when I used to actually host Bible study, I did a, um, I did an assignment for the people that I was hosting the Bible study with. And I asked them the question, can you murder someone with your tongue? They were like, huh? I said, I need y'all to do the research. And in our next Bible study, I want y'all to come back with the information that you found. Let me know if you can murder someone with your, someone with your tongue. I felt murdered. Yes, I was walking around post losing custody of my children, but I felt like I was murdered. I felt like the judge allowed this person to take my life from me. And yeah, you might be like, girl, how in the world are you going to feel murdered? The depths of that pain made me feel like there was literally felt like you have stripped my life away from me. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, it took me years to forgive the offender. Years. To be able to be in the same room and not have any ill will, ill anything. Because I remember when I prayed to God and said, I will forgive him of everything. 
if you will allow me to be taken off of child support. That meant I couldn't keep it holding alt against him. I could not be angry at him any longer. I could not look at him sideways. I could not wish any type of ill on him or his family. I had to forgive the unforgivable. And I know that I only did that because of who it is I serve and believe in. Because I could have never did that in my own strength. Ever. But God. And so be careful, be careful who it is that you allow to cover you. Be careful who it is that you allow to minister to you. Be careful who it is that you allow to speak into your life. I wanted to confide in you today. I wanted to confide in you today. So I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I know that it has blessed me simply because the word is a two-edged sword and iron sharpens iron. I have accepted the role of accountability on a whole nother level. I'm not going to draw back. This is not easy. Every time that I read a poem from my past, it reintroduces itself to me. Like, remember when this happened? And there are times that y'all, I don't know if y'all catch it, but there are times that I do get choked up because it's still painful. It's still painful. And I think that we get the whole healing process I think we kind of get it me like messed up sometimes and confused. Just because you heal does not mean it doesn't still hurt in that area. My brain surgery, having both of those brain surgeries, I'm still tender in spots where they did the surgery. Just because I can laugh, cry, um, all of that, my emotions are intact, doesn't mean that I'm not still hurting. There are times when something may occur and I know that it is a deficiency from the brain surgery. Knowing that could cause me to be emotional, but I have to keep pressing forward because I'm not just to tell every Tom, Dick and Harry, well, you know, well, I guess technically I kind of did since I'm on a podcast and everybody and mama can hear. Anyway, I digress. However, I'm not trying to make a public service announcement in person every time I cross someone's path to be like, oh, I've had two brain surgeries. So if I appear to be a little delayed, that's the reason why. I don't have time for that. I'm, I don't even want to do that because I don't want a pity party. Um, I don't want to take the time to be like, oh, yeah, I currently have a tumor in my brain. So, you know, yeah. I may forget this conversation in the next 25 minutes if it's really a non-factor for me and not that relative, but it's okay. I'm, I'm getting by and by. But I just literally just feel like sometimes the underdog is not rooted for, the underdog is not celebrated. And I'm an underdog. Yeah, 
I am. I'm an underdog. And you know what? I'm really okay with that. I am really okay with that. So this is going to conclude my podcast for today. And before I conclude completely, I wanted to read a letter to my future hubby. And it is dated February the 19th, 2021. Dear future hubby. Okay. Let me just make sure y'all, because y'all know how I do. I get to um, thinking that I'm one place and then end up being somewhere else. Yep. And that's exactly what just happened. So let's try this again. Take two. (laughs) Dear future hubby. There just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day. I haven't been sleeping much. It's as if my brain doesn't want to shut shut down and slow down from the many thoughts constantly running through my mind. I've tried everything from listening to calming music to shutting everything off and still I look up and the time goes from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. and I am still awake. I used to suffer from chronic insomnia A part of me wonders if this, if with the recent trauma I've experienced with losing two loved ones in a short amount of time, while another one of my loved ones fights for her life, has triggered the insomnia to return. Nevertheless, I find myself still awake at this hour of 11 p.m. It's been rough, especially when you add a snowstorm in the mix. My grandmother is doing as best she can considering her deep loss of my grandfather. I too am doing all I can to focus on my mental health during these unprecedented times. Have I mentioned to you that I used to suffer from depression? Well, there was a time in my life where it was really bad. This is one of the reasons why I try to ensure that the two deepen my relationship with God and talk about what I'm experiencing. I've discovered that just like flagellants, some things are better out than in. Plus, I've still got to function at a capacity to be present for my family. Earlier today, I spoke to my Aunt Tina. I look at her as more like a sister. Having people who I can be vulnerable around really helps. My mom and I seem to have gotten closer as well. My dad and I have also gotten closer. Technically, he would be considered my stepdad by society standards because we aren't blood related. However, he has been in my life since the age of two. So he's my dad. I love my parents. I love my parents. You know, one thing is for certain. When you realize that your parents also have their own struggles from their past, their own traumas, their own baggage, and you remove your judgment And you remove your judgment lenses in order to be able to truly see them as the people they are. 
you'd be surprised how much grace will begin to manifest concerning your relationships. Today, my dad was wearing a t-shirt I designed especially for him when he returned from when he retired from the post office. You should have seen me. My whole face lit up when I saw him wearing his shirt. I've made sure to get his I made sure to get his name printed on the back of it. That moment was priceless and it meant so much to me to see my dad wearing his gift. The tears are streaming down my face as I write this. Now the tears are streaming as I read it. Um, As I write this to you. If you know where we've been and what we've been through as a family, you'd understand the tears of joy behind this testimony. It's... (laughs) Y'all, y'all don't judge me because this is the only thing I could think of when, <laughs> when I was writing the letter to my future hubby. It's, <laughs> it's similar to when you you watch television and you see the little girl when she asks her father to play dress up with her and she makes up his face and he takes selfies with her looking just as proud as he can with his face looking like who did it and why. Now, we didn't take any selfies, y'all, because my dad ain't going to play that. But <laughs> nevertheless, fast forward. I thanked my dad for how he raised us to be tough, to weather the storms. Then I joked with him and said, King Kong ain't got nothing on us. I said, we will survive. Okay. I hope you get my point. But my parents truly make my heart smile, as well as my loved ones, my friends and family, when I see them wearing my brand. To some, it probably isn't a big deal at all. But for me, to know that they value my efforts, even if they haven't fully gasped my entire vision and my desire to leave a legacy for my family, it does the heart good to know that your family and friends not only say they support you, but show you how much they support you in both action and in deed. Just like when I found out about my grandfather's passing, my mom rushed over here from the opposite side of town just to love on me and hug me. That is the kind of love that will help anyone to weather the storms of life. I pray that you have this kind of support. If not, just you wait and see. Lord willing, once our paths cross and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is ordaining our union, you'll receive unconditional love and support too. The kind where I can catch you in the spirit without you uttering a single word. I see it. I believe it's coming. However, in the meantime, I will continue to work on myself wholeheartedly. I thought about if we argued, what type of arguments we would have. Would it be over who's supposed to wash the dishes next? Would it be, why didn't you let the toilet seat down? Would it be because we have this, we have this show we watch together like Tabitha Brown and Chance and you watched an episode without me? 
Or would it be over who loves who more? I hope the latter. I pray that we are found guilty of loving one another on purpose. I love you, love Teresa. So I hope that y'all have a blessed and wonderful day, morning, whenever it is that you hear this podcast. And please love the people that are closest to you now. Set aside the excuses because truth be told, none of us know when we will take our last breath. Let you be guilty of looking back and reflecting on the paths that you've crossed and be found guilty of loving even the unlovable. I hope y'all have a blessed evening, again, a blessed morning, but do me a huge favor. Take care of yourselves because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl, Teresa. Y'all have a blessed one. Bye.